So without further ado, I'm super excited to welcome Dr. Diane Shannon. Diane, thank you so much for being with us today. It's an honor to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, super, super fun that we all get together um, and get to chat again um, for our mid-door listeners. And we want to start off, Dan, like we start off with all our guests on our podcast with a quick rapid fire round. It's like a this or that game. And uh, we just want you just what's on the top of your head when we say this or that, you give us your answer. So I'm going to start off by saying, do you hair dry? or air dry your hair? Ah, depends on whether I have a working hair dryer. (laughs) (laughs) So I did, my daughter was just visiting and said, mom, the hair dryer doesn't work. And so now I'm air drying until I get a new one. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right. How about heels or tennies? Gosh, um, I like heels, but I also like to be comfortable. So I go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it yoga pants or jeans? Jeans. Uh, early bird or a night owl? Early bird. Ooh. How early? It used to be six. Now it's more, my kids have um, are grown. And so I'm not having to get up and drive anyone to school. And so now it's more like seven. Nice. But I, I definitely think better in the morning, and that's when I do my creative work. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, is it mountains or ocean? Ocean. Uh, all right. City views or sea views? Sea views. Mm-hmm. Breakfast or no breakfast? Breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, eat in or eat out? Eat in. Go to the movies or watch Netflix? Hmm. Well, lately it's been Netflix. I haven't quite, I think I've been to two films since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, I I have a feeling that a lot of people have said that they don't, they don't even miss them, really. (laughs) They got used to without them, so... But I will say I'm going to some live performances. I love musicals. And so I'm going to a few coming up and I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh, that's nice that those are back. Aren't is yes. yeah. yeah. All right. Book or Kindle? Book. Is it the Yankees or the Red Sox? Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> Cat or dog? Um. I like both. We have cats. Okay. Would you order a burger or a salad? Salad. Mm-hmm. All right. And then Saturday or Sunday? Saturday. Mm-hmm. And do you like to be fully connected or off the grid? Off the grid. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm glad you're not off grid today. Thanks for connecting with us. <laughs> As we span the globe, we should mention Karen's in the UK, visiting family. So we have Karen in the UK and Diane, you're in Boston, right? And I'm in Oregon. So we are really, um, really hitting a lot of different time zones today. So I'm glad you're connected. 
Yeah, I think we're going literally halfway across the world, probably, to draw a line connecting all of us. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, my light is fading. That's why I'm starting to look like it's getting like middle of the night here. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Well, let's get into it. Um, Dan, I'm curious in your coaching um, of women physicians, what do you see as the biggest challenges that they're facing? Um. I would say self-confidence is one, and that's been true before the pandemic. Um, with the pandemic, I think work-life balance has cropped up as being even you know, more of an issue, and the guilt that goes along with feeling like, I should be doing more at home, I should be doing more at work, um, and and I think other pressures that all physicians are feeling now in terms of there's so much more pressure to be productive, right? To see more patients in less time. Um, and there's more and more to document, more and more messages to deal with. Like there's actually, there truly is a volume increase in those in recent, in, in um, the past year and a half. And so I think there's there's a lot that women physicians are facing. Oh, and I should add, there is still sexism that exists and, um, you know, discrimination, gender discrimination. It is much better than when I was in medical school. It's less blatant, like less of the, the you know, when I was there, there was a lot of blatant things that happened. Um, I think there's less of that, but subtle stuff is definitely there. And it definitely affects women as they're trying to progress. Those are some big challenges. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, you know, I find it so rewarding to work with women physicians. They are smart, dedicated, caring people who really want to do a good job in all the roles that they have. Mm -hmm. And it's so it's really rewarding to work with them and see them take on, like, consider a different way of thinking about something and consider just a small goal that they can try to achieve. And I always help them or suggest that they think of it as an experiment. So let's try, see how this works. Try this idea that you've come up with. And then let's see, what are the obstacles that come up? So it's a much more lighter way of approaching, you know, problem solving than, okay, here's what you're going to do. Um, as a coach, I wouldn't tell them, tell her, I would say, okay, what are you going to do? But then to have her approach that as, let me just see what happens mm -hmm. rather than, oh, I failed because this didn't work or because I never, I never got around to doing the thing I said I was going to do. So it takes away some of that pressure and just let's see what happens and then come back and talk about it. That's got to be so freeing for your women physician clients to hear because that is not part of the training right <laughs> or the mindset that um i'm sure a lot of them because of that training have yeah exactly yeah and i think you know um again like some of the benefits are this is a group that's very high achieving and very self-motivated. And when turned towards um, improving their work or life situation or improving work-life balance, they really can take off and they really work on things and be motivated and watch their progress. Um, 
but it can also, those same things can make for a mindset that keeps them, us limited in thinking about how things have to be or how much I have to do. Um, so it's, uh, it's great though, when you see someone's like, oh, I get it. Like, this is something I didn't even realize I was thinking, but it's been affecting my behavior. Mm-hmm. So when I hear those things, like how it affects women physicians' behavior, and there's, there's a lot of self-doubt that goes on in their minds. And, the, you know, that imposter syndrome that we hear mentioned from time to time, how does that sabotage these women clinicians' fulfillment? Mm-hmm. Well, the first, uh, just one, one preface is to say that self-doubt, I've come to see, can be driven internally by imposter syndrome or externally by the environment. And that may be the sexism or gender bias or um, gaslighting right? Like from someone who's in power. And so it's really important whenever I talk about imposter syndrome or imposter feelings is to recognize, you know, scan your environment and see if there's also some of this going on because, you know, you don't want women to feel that's their fault when it's actually something coming from the outside. So that's just one piece. Um, In terms of how it affects them, I think it's, it's both not applying for some a promotion or a potential job because they don't have every single one of the criteria that they would need, even though they'd be great at the job. So, so it's kind of holding back often. Um, or it, it, I'd say that's probably the biggest way that it, it really impacts is not believing you can do that thing and therefore not stretching yourself. Or um, one client I worked with said, yeah, I, I would never have like applied to speak at that conference because I didn't think I was good enough. Mm-hmm. I felt like everybody else would have the, you know, the background, the expertise, but I didn't. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't put myself in that place. Whereas actually she realized later she did. Yeah. So if somebody was listening to this podcast now and is recognizing that this is them, that they that this is holding them back, have you got like um, a takeaway or a top tip of how you can help them to start moving beyond those feelings? Yeah, um, I think so. And I will I will uh, promote a book that I recommend and work through. It's this workbook. And it's written by two psychologists. It's called Own Your Greatness, Overcome Imposter Syndrome, Beat Self-Doubt, and Succeed in Life. And I I really love this workbook. Um, and I've done some groups where we walk through pieces of this. And I do that with one-on-one clients also. And the basic idea is really recognizing where it shows up in your life, what are the triggers, how it impacts you, and then um, thinking about the negative messages that automatically come and drive that imposter syndrome, and then being able to choose positive messages and then make a habit of using those positive messages. Mm-hmm. And I have been amazed at how that process really makes a difference for um, women in terms of their confidence level. And it's, especially as I begin to see, oh, that is a thought I'm having 
that's coming up that says, I'm not eligible, I'm not good enough for this. It, let me let me just take a moment and do a reality check. Is that really true? Right. And um, and I know for myself, because I suffered with this um, in the past, I remember I got a um, in residency, there was um, a faculty member, he was a nephrologist, and I was doing internal medicine. And he was this amazing teacher. And he had won teaching awards every year. And when he gave me, after a rotation with him, he gave me a really positive evaluation. And I walked away thinking, oh, that can't be true. Like, I didn't deserve that. And it took me a couple of days to stop and say, wait a second, I respect this person. Why would I think that he would lie about my evaluation? And so I really had to stop and think. But it's that that sort of reality check can be help, really helpful. And then again, replacing, uh, seeing the negative messages and then replacing them with something that's positive. It's reality, isn't it? That reality check moment. Right. Wake up. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think the more that we have the opportunity to separate our, the thought from us. So I may be thinking that, is it actually true? And until we get that awareness and observe that, it's like we're glued to that thought. It's like have the thought automatic reaction or automatic feeling mm-hmm. and then reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then maybe even go down the rabbit hole of all sorts of other not true thoughts. Yes. Right. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so the more, and again, I also have like a mindfulness practice I have. Um, my clients do that is, is, I call it the mini mindfulness practice because it's not, it's like two minutes or three minutes in the morning and then 30 seconds, a couple times during the day. And it's very simple and busy physicians can have found ways to, to fit it in their, you know, their time. And so, um, so I think that helps also in being able to separate from separate from the thought and get a little bit of space to say, wait a second. Okay. That's a thought. Is it true? Mm -hmm. Super. I love the simple ways to help and especially simple, short ways to help because, you know, that's so often a roadblock is that, you know, you should meditate for 20 minutes. Well, geez, I don't have 20 minutes. Right, exactly. Exactly. 30 seconds here and there can can make a big difference. Yep. Yep. I have seen it make a difference and that's the feedback I get, so I keep recommending that that mini practice. I love it. You know, your your career you you went through a burnout. Mm-hmm. And I know you distinguish a little bit between two different types of burnout, whether it be system burnout or individual burnout. Can you talk us through both of those? Well, I would say it's more what drives the burnout. So um, professional burnout, you know, has three components, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and inefficacy. And those, I mean, that's what the research, that's how it's defined. And it's also recognized in that the research that it is caused by excessive stress in the workplace. So it's not caused by the individual or any individual susceptibility. 
right? So it's really, and, and in healthcare anyway, it is driven by the system factors like the amount of documentation that's needed, lack of resources, the productivity pressure, um, things like that, or even, you know, patient demographics when they change or COVID and all the additional stresses and conditions that are going along with that. <clears throat> so that's the kind of at system level. Um, and that's what truly drives burnout. And at the same time, the individual plays a role in their well-being. And so it's a both and. And you cannot, one of the mistakes um, organizations have made in the past is to focus on trying to help the individual who has burnout versus going upstream and fixing some of the system problems that are making it a toxic place to work. Mm-hmm. Right. So both are important. Right. Again, like if I'm walking around with this um, imposter feelings or with uh, perfectionism that is really making me stay late every night. Right. That is that's on me. Like that is work I need to do. And if I or if I'm like neglecting my um, physical health, for example, that's work that I need to do. And at the same time, it's really important for leaders to recognize the role they play in the culture, the leadership decisions that affect all those systems. And um, and then the part that's really challenging is the reimbursement, how re- how we in in the U.S. pay for healthcare, which then affects organizations and what they prioritize, which then affects individual clinicians. Mm. Yeah, that's that is a big. <laughs> A big topic, isn't it? Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really that's a really unique perspective that I haven't that we haven't heard a lot of, and I, I hope that we can talk more about that. That there are these kind of multifaceted arms of burnout, and we we need to focus on all of them mm-hmm. in order to really help somebody that's having the symptoms of burnout. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a role for both. There's a role for those system interventions to prevent more of this from happening and also giving really clear support and um, interventions for the person who's having whatever phase of burnout, whether it's almost or full severe burnout where they really need time away in order to recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me think that from how we speak that an individual has agency over what they choose to do each day and what are some things that you would suggest how an individual can improve that daily experience for themselves both at home and at work you know when they're on the clinic or in the hospital what would that look like well I like to think of it as an individual has agency over three things how they show up every day or who they show up as every day how they lead and how how effectively they advocate for change. And the first one, who they show up as every day, that's where they have a lot of agency and it affects the other two. And so what I ask um, my clients to do is think about who are you when you're at your best? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Who are you when you're not at your best? What is that like? How do other people interact with you? And then what are the preconditions that help that make it more likely you will show up at your best the next day and which of those are under your control. 
and then have them pick a very specific goal around one of those to begin improving. Um, most often people say sleep is the, is the one that makes the biggest difference. Um, and often they haven't tried to really do anything to improve their sleep, but making that commitment, whether it's, I'm going to get to bed 20 minutes earlier, or I'm going to stop looking at screens by 9 PM, whatever that little action step is, once they make that commitment and see that it helps and improves, then there, there's this reinforcement to try something else that's in their, their control. And so that might be um, exercise or getting healthier food or learning to set limits at work where you, you know, if someone, if they're asking you to double book patients, you say no, right? So things like that, that can then feed into what your work experience feels like and what your home experience feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some really good, like, I like looking at it as the three things that you can, that you have agency over mm-hmm. like and taking it step by step. Yeah. It's a really right. clear process. And the thing is like, once people, if you think about it, once people have the bandwidth because they've worked on who they show up as every day, they're much more likely to be able to engage in maybe improving how they lead mm-hmm. their team, or if they have a leadership, formal leadership position, and also how effectively they advocate for change. I mean, if you are just trying to survive every day to get through, you can't be involved in advocating for change. Like you don't have the energy to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also like how it is very hopeful in the sense that, you know, this, again, these aren't huge things that you need to take on to affect some positive change in your life. You can start with something very simple as let's look at how you're sleeping. Right. And how that affects your day and go from there. And like you said, then just, you know, that uh, positive reinforcement of feeling better, having a little more energy, then can take the next step to do a little something else. Absolutely. Yes. There's a lot of hope in that for someone that's feeling maybe a little bit hopeless. You know, one of the things in terms of hope, one of the things I noticed that was I thought was so interesting is there was a, a client I was working with and she had set two goals for our time together. One of them was to get more of the charts done, like have more charts finished by the end of the day. So they weren't tailing over into the evening or the next day. And then the other was just to have a more positive frame of mind when she was at work. So more positive and and less negative. And what she found was she wanted to work on the charting first and trying to get more efficient. So she, you know, brainstormed some things she could do and she started working on it. And what she found was when the number of charts that she was behind began to shrink, she was more hopeful about her day. And so she had been feeling the weight of all those open charts Mm -hmm. and that had been affecting how hopeful she felt during the day. Mm -hmm. And so the two were connected. Mm -hmm. Isn't that something? (laughs) I love that. So it's just like exponential positive change. Yes. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I love that you are able to, it's got to be so rewarding to be this person that understands what a woman physician is going through and being able to be kind of on the outside 
and helping support them to creating a life that is more fulfilling for them. I bet that that is extremely fulfilling for you. It is. And I think especially because, you know, because of burnout, I ended up leaving clinical practice. Mm -hmm. And back then I didn't see any other option. It felt like either I stay and I'm going to burn out again, or I leave. I didn't seek help. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a mentor. You know, I and and there wasn't a lot of recognition back then. This was more than 20 years ago. There wasn't a lot of recognition about burnout or wellness for physicians. And so being able to help women physicians have more options so that they might be able to stay long-term in clinical practice and be happy and thrive, right? So that is really fulfilling. And I I have to say, I love what I do. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it sounds like you're very good at it. So thank you for for supporting these important people (laughs) that take darn good care of us out in the world. Yes. Yeah. They're amazing. And they're amazing to work with. Oh, awesome. All right. We have a few questions that we like to ask all our podcast guests. Okay. And I'm really excited about this one because behind you, you have a sort of mint colored uh, drapery. Yes. (laughs) So um, when Karen and I were creating the mint door, we gave incredible thought to what color the door should be. And we ended up picking mint, but we're curious if you were to be picking a color of a door, what color would you pick and why? Ah, it would have to be, I don't even know what color it's called, but ocean green. Mm-hmm. So that kind of aqua, and this is it completely because I am, I am, uh, I could have been born in the ocean. I think I just love the ocean. I love the beach. Um, my newest hobby is learning how to surf. I just like, awesome. yeah, I just love the ocean. So it would have to be that green. Oh, that's a beautiful color. And maybe I should have asked you reframe the question instead of a door, we could say, what color would your surfboard be? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I'm, I'm impressed. Good job. How is the, how is the learning curve of surfing? Um, I, all I can say is I'm always going to be a beginner. I don't strive to be more than that, but I just love it. So it's something I, you know, I'm always going to take a class and have an instructor. Um, but the feeling of being up on the board and seeing the world from this different vantage point, like you just can't help but smile. It's just like so much fun. Wow. That's happy. It's a happy picture. Yeah. Although yeah. if your surfboard is the same color as the ocean, you may lose it and then it may be <laughs> Maybe not. <Good> <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, Diane, that looking back at your life, what one thing has happened to you that you didn't expect? And maybe how has that changed the path or your direction? Um. Gosh, the first thing that comes to mind is I experienced two pregnancy losses and infertility um, in, in building a family. And, you know, you just when you when you're at that point in your life and you want to start a family, you don't think about those things that might happen. And yet I found out afterwards that it's incredibly common 
for women to, to, to um, struggle with those challenges. And, and even for women physicians, you know, it's 25% experience infertility, which is like twice the rate of the general population. So um, what I found is that it has given me an understanding of not just pregnancy loss and infertility, but going through a challenging period of time and some tactics you can use to be able to, you know, manage your stress as you continue going through a process, whether it's a grief process or the, all the feelings that go along with, with um, struggling with infertility, the stress and comparing to other people and all of that stuff. So um, years later, now I can say I learned a lot of great lessons from those experiences um, but at the time, I would not have said that. Yeah. I think that's why it's so valuable. Like, and thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable because this is something that I think maybe people don't share. We're so stuck in this professional, we've got to be in control, we've got to be looking like we're you know, succeeding and thriving at everything we're doing and getting those like climbing the career ladder and doing everything else, but yet still going through so many women doctors facing this issue right whilst trying to do everything else mm-hmm. right so i think right. raising awareness that this is more common than you think absolutely and i think the more there's um recognition and, and education about it early on in one's career the better because you might make choices about um, egg preservation, or you might make choices to live in a certain state that actually has medical coverage for infertility treatments, because not all states require that in, in insurance. So, you know, knowing ahead of time can help to, you know, have you make more informed decisions as you go along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so valuable, the the openness and vulnerability that when we share our our struggles, our challenges, and there can be many topics, but that as as high achievers, we often don't show those things and feel alone. Like you said, you know, feel alone, like you're walking that path alone. Um and so I, I, I love that you brought that up. Yes, thank you for, for bringing that up. And I'm glad that you found um, lots of positives and, and lessons that you can share with others through that. Yes. Yep. Um, one more thing that's very common for high achievers is that we get so busy running on that treadmill of achievement that a lot of times we actually forget the little things that bring us joy. So I'm curious, um, looking back in your life, is there a favorite childhood memory or something that that brings you joy, something simple? Hmm, For my childhood? Um, Well, of course, it has to do with the beach. (laughs) So starting when I was about seven, my family went camping in Maryland um, at Assateague Island, which is one of the barrier islands that has wild horses. And so, and you camp in a, you know, the whole island doesn't, it doesn't have any homes. It doesn't have any hotels. It's just camping. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very beautiful, wild place. And, um, and we continue to go, my family and I continue to go. We actually just went in May and my siblings came with their children and, um, 
myself and my husband and um, my son. And so it, I just have so many positive memories of being there and the games we would play on the beach and, you know, things that happened. And so, yeah, it's a great, great place. Mm. I can see why you picked off grid versus connected. <laughs> right. <laughs> There might have been a little bit of inside knowledge when we put these questions together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds like a magical place. And um, I love that it's continuing to bring you joy um, all, all these years later. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Oh. So I think what we want to do is share with everybody who is listening the ways that if um, the, how you help people, Diane, and if they would like to work with you, what you can offer them. And I know that you have a complimentary lift-off session, and we love the name for that, uh, <laughs> a lift-off session. For those who are interested in working one-on-one on a challenge to, to see what it's like to work with you, and also that you offer a discovery call for practices or organisations who are interested in facilitate, sorry, facilitating groups of women physicians. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So the liftoff sessions, it's really a time to dive into a particular challenge that a, a physician is facing. And um, we, we do actual work in the call yeah. and really focus on what is the problem what's underlying it, just getting more insight on what's causing the problem. And then think about what are some potential first steps in addressing it. And then if coaching makes sense, we talk about that. If it makes sense with me, we talk about that. If I think coaching makes sense, but not with me, I will refer to someone who's a, who's a better fit. Um, but I, I feel like that call is so important in terms of understanding what, what the potential challenge is and whether coaching can be helpful and also getting to know whether it's a good fit for both of us because it's so essential in coaching that it's a good fit. Um, and then the discovery call relates to the fact that I run uh, group programs for women physicians. And uh, some of these I do on my own, other ones I do for organizations. And so could be a health system, a hospital, a physician practice, and I, I set up these groups. We usually do around six sessions. And those are a great place for women to learn some of the techniques and tricks that can help in terms of life and work hacks, but also to get that um, both validation and camaraderie that are so hard to find when you have a busy, busy day. Um, and that's that's the feedback I get is, oh, my gosh, to be able to connect with other women who really understand and to hear that I'm not the only one who's struggling with X, Y or Z. Mm-hmm. And so I set up those and those those have been really um, just so rewarding to be a part of in witness growth, both for my individual clients and for the group clients. Mm-hmm. Sounds like um, two very valuable resources for women physicians that are so needed right now um, and have been needed for for the history, actually, but especially needed right now. So a wonderful way to serve. Um, And I'm sure that they can maybe find out about these ways of working with you on your website. Is that a good place to go? 
Okay. Yep, that's a great place to go. And it says, you know, more about me. There's testimonials. So you can hear, you know, what other women physicians have experienced in coaching. Um, and my website is dianeshannon.com. So that's easy. Um, and there's also my blog post there. And I write about topics that affect women physicians, both individual and also I write about the system factors that that drive burnout. So it's a combination of kind of all things wellness and burnout. Awesome. Sounds like a great resource and uh, website. We'll make sure that the link to your website are in the show notes below. So, um, and you are also on LinkedIn. Yes. Um, and that's just your, your name again, Diane Shannon. Mm-hmm. And we can also find you on Instagram as well. Yes. And that is your name too, at diane.w.shannon. Right. Excellent. I would highly recommend people read Diane's blog posts because she is a really excellent writer. Oh, thank you, Karen. Yeah. She she is very good at editing my stuff if she needs to. You can always send it to Diane for an opinion. Oh, fantastic. Well, um, is there anything else that you would like to add as we, we wrap up today's podcast, Diane? You know, I think the one thing that I've I've come to over the years is just reminding folks, clinicians, that they are human too. And I think it's training just seems to, I don't know, um, encourage us to forget that we're human, to deny that we need regular sleep or that we need to eat on a regular basis or exercise or connect with others. And we just deprive ourselves in order to help the patient. And we do it for so long, we forget. And I think that's the one message is that, yes, you are human too. And you deserve to have a life that really works for you. Mm -hmm. Great words of wisdom. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. This is extremely valuable. And I think that, you know, this information is great for both the the audiences that we serve, either physicians or women dentists as well. Um, a lot of the, the same great information here. So please uh, check out Diane's website, her blog posts, uh, find her on LinkedIn and connect with her on Instagram and have some agency and hope in a better future for yourself. Thank you so much, Diane, for being with us. Thank you, Laura and Karen. Thank you. It's been so fun. Yes. All right. We will talk to you all next on the next or later, I should say, on the next Mint Door podcast. Everyone take care. Bye. Bye.